Okay, let's open with a word of prayer if we could. Our Father, we do give praise to you this morning. We are grateful to have the opportunity to come together and to look into your word. Pray that you would guide our discussion. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be together as the body of Christ. Um, we need each other. We desire fellowship. And Lord, it's a great blessing that you have poured out on us. And so we rejoice in that this morning, wanting to give you all praise and glory and honor that you so rightly deserve. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is uh, week number 29 in our study of eschatology. And we're walking through many things over the, the past, really, seven months or so. And we've come to chapters 38 and 39 in Ezekiel. And so we've kind of stepped back to try and get some perspective on why these chapters are here and how they um, work sequentially in the great plan of God and when do they occur and why did it happen and all those kind of questions. And our, the first thing we discovered is this happens because God wants it to happen. He clear, very clearly says that in these two chapters, 38 and 39 of Ezekiel. And so this is part of the grand plan of God. And God actually says he puts hooks into the jaws of someone named Gog or a title named Gog and turns him to come against Israel. But then we later see that in cooperation with the plan of God, that Gog has devises evil plans. And so you have both the sovereignty of God in causing this war to happen, and yet you have the responsibility of men in that they desire to do these evil things, to come against the land of Israel. And then we spent after understanding why it happens, um, several weeks to try and determine when this war happens. And the conclusion of all of that, I believe, says that this is the war that happens not before the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, but after the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And we actually don't know how many years after the reign of Christ. Um, could be almost instantaneous, or it could be several years. Um, Scripture doesn't give us an answer to that. And so we went through a lot of different things to come to that conclusion of why I believe this war happens at the conclusion of the millennial reign. Now what I want to do this morning is spend one more week looking at this to try and kind of bolster that understanding of when this war happens. And the, the way I want to do that is I want to look at the war in these two chapters, some of the specific details about them, and then I want to run to Revelation and look at the war that happens, we know, at the end of the tribulation before the millennial reign of Christ, and then I want to look at the war in Revelation that happens after the millennial reign of Christ, and look at the characteristics of those three wars and determine how that fits with the war that happens in Ezekiel. And so we'll walk through some of these details just to, to get an understanding again and to compare those and what happens during those wars. Now I'll share several things that I believe 
uh, about the book of Revelation when we get over there and we look at some specific chapters because I spent four years teaching Revelation, did a lot of outside reading and um, research that about not just the book of Revelation, but all the things out of Daniel and Ezekiel and other Old Testament books that lead to or foreshadowing of that war. So I'll share some of those things as we go through this today. But that's kind of what I want to do. And then after this week, um, Lord willing, we'll jump back into a sequential study of the book verse by verse. But perspective here is important. Um, so that's what we're trying to do. Um, I believe that as Ezekiel wrote in consecutive order, in chronological order, from chapters 1 through chapter 33, that when you get to chapter 34 and he transitions and we start talking about the reign of Jesus Christ and all the things that are associated with it, I believe he continues to write sequentially. And so you remember back in chapter um, 37, uh, several things happen, but the last thing that happens is that the uh, throne of David with Jesus Christ sitting on it is established. And so these chapters 38 and 39, I believe, are a thousand years later. You have the reign of Jesus Christ all through the white spaces between chapters 37 uh, and 38, and then you have this war that's at least a thousand years later. Um, and then you'll remember the, one of the reasons I believe that is because chapters 40 through 48, there are no events which happen at all. It's all descriptive of what the temple looks like, of what the worship looks like, of what the duties are, what the Levitical law looks like during the millennial reign. It's all descriptive. There's no action that takes place. All the action is completed when we get through chapter 39. Everything after that is kind of parenthetical and simply describes what it looks like during the millennial kingdom. No action whatsoever. So, um, looking at chapter 38 and 39, we'll just pull out a, full of the, a couple of the details of what this war looks like. And we'll start in verse 4 and 5 of chapter 38. And there the scripture reads, I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them splendidly attired, a great company with buckler and shield, all of them wielding swords, per Persia, Ethiopia, and put with them, all with their shield and helmet. So what you get, what my point here is simply you get a picture or a description of what the army looks like. And they are ready for battle. They're armed. They have horses. They have shields and swords. And, and they're coming against Israel. And it's not just one nation. But it's really all the nations uh, that surround Israel. You remember that we had um, Put and Kush that are in northern Africa, really northern eastern Africa, that would come from the west and would come from the south. And then you have Persia, which is off to the east of where Israel is at. And then you have several nations. You have 
um, Gomer, you have Magog, you have um, uh, five or six different nations that are to the north that come from the north. And so Israel is surrounded at this time and all these nations are coming against them. Now, we'll see that in other uh, battles or wars also, but here I just want to get a picture in our mind and the leader of these guys is, uh, of these nations is either a man or a title that the scriptures call Gog. Okay, and we're not sure if that's a specific person or if that's a system, if that's an organization, but what we know is they're opposed to God. Um, and they're from the land of Magog, which is in scripture to the north of Israel. Okay, so we get a picture of what they look like. And then in verses 18 and 19, we get some of the events that happened during or prior to this war between Gog and all his forces as they come against Israel. So chapter 38 and verses 18 and 19. It will come about on that day when Gog comes against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, that my fury will mount up in my anger. In my zeal and in my blazing wrath, I declare that on that day there will surely be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. Now notice it doesn't say it's the greatest earthquake that's ever happened or anything like that, like that, that other passages that speak of wars with God do say. An earthquake uh, greater than has ever been before. This one doesn't say that. This one just says that there's going to be an earthquake, and apparently it's caused by the presence of God. Coming in, in his fury and in his anger that the earth shakes um, at, that, at that thought, at that literal approach of God coming to um, the earth. Now, he describes then what is a result of this earthquake. As you go on in verse 20, he says, The fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all the creeping things that creep on the earth, and all the men who are on the face of the earth will shake at my presence. The mountains also will be thrown down, the steep pathways will collapse, and every wall will fall to the ground. It will fall to the ground. So there, this, this earthquake is cataclysmic. It affects all the animal world. It affects every person that is on the planet, that they're all shaken. I mean, literally the earth, I mean, if you've ever been in an earthquake or in even tremblings of an earthquake, you, your body gets shaken. You get thrown down. The whole, the whole earth is shaking. And so that's what he says is happening here. And that apparently the mountains will be flattened and that the low places will be altered. And so you have real events happening to the planet that will affect the people who are on the planet. Okay, so um, I, I want you to remember some of these things because we're going to compare some of what happens here to what happens in other wars. So that's why we're going to look specifically at the details of what happens. Now, it says every wall will fall to the ground. 
Well, you remember in the nation or in the land of Israel during the millennial reign, there are no walls around the cities because they live there without any fear of anybody invading them. So they don't build walls around their cities when they rebuild everything. There's no need for them. They have the presence of God there and the cities don't have walls around them. And so those aren't what's collapsing. It's a, and I don't know if the houses in Israel actually collapse. One thing we know is that the temple would not collapse. So um, maybe that's the walls of other lands are the, what are falling down. But in Israel, there are no walls around the cities. They live um, freely without any worry of invasion from anybody. So, um, and then again, all the animals and all the people are shaken. Now, in verse 21, he describes what actually happens as these armies begin to come against Israel. 21, I will call for a sword against him on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. So they begin to fight not with the Israelis or with the people of God, but with each other. So they're in great confusion as this earthquake happens. And there's other things that are going to happen that causes even more confusion that we'll see as we get into 22. With pestilence and with blood, I will enter into judgment with him. And I will rain on him and on his, on his troops and, the, and on the many peoples who are with him a torrential rain with hailstones, hailstones, fire, and brimstone. I will magnify myself, sanctify myself, and make my, myself known in the sight of many nations, and they will know that I am the Lord. So there's some very specific things here. You have torrential rain, okay, that is pouring down on them. And then you've got hail and fire falling down on them. So great confusion as the earth shakes, as rain comes, torrential rain. You know, you've been in torrential rain, right, where you can't see. Um, and then hail and brimstone coming down from the heavens on you. So there's great confusion, and these guys begin to kill each other instead of killing Israelis. All right? So th this is um, somewhat unique, I'll say, in Scripture, especially the rain. I don't find the rain anywhere else, and we're going to go to several passages, and I'll show you the rain. And the, the fire and brimstone is also very important. Because a man that I respect greatly, more than most Bible teachers, says this is exactly what happens in the book of Revelation. So I went and read in the book of Revelation, and I don't find this is exactly what happens in the book of Revelation. And so I want to take you to the book of Revelation. Well, let me show you one last thing. Um, this is seen several places in Scripture, but after the war... God, and it says his body is laying dead, and all the troops who were with him are all laying dead on the mountains of Israel. So apparently when all the mountains collapse, those in Israel do not. 
And so, because this is God's land that he is jealous for. So apparently, a lot of this cataclysmic things that happen um, on the planet don't happen in Israel. Okay, I, I believe the rain does happen and the fire and brimstone come down, but it doesn't come down on the people of God. It comes down on their enemies. So it's selective on who it falls on in the land of Israel and what happens there. Now, as a result, look at chapter 39 in verses 3 through 5. And you do see this other places in Scripture. I will strike your bow from your left hand and dash down your arrows from your right hand. You will fall on the mountains of Israel, you and your troops and the peoples who are with you. I will give you as food to every kind of predatory bird and beast of the field. So these people are all lying dead on the land. And they're there then for the birds and, that eat meat and for the animals that eat meat to come and devour them. Now it goes on, it's more descriptive than that, in verses 17 through 20. As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, Speak to every kind of bird and to every beast of the field. Assemble and come, gather from every side to my sacrifice, which I'm going to sacrifice for you as a great sacrifice on the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. You will eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of the princes of the earth as though they were rams, lambs, goats, and bulls, all of the fatlings of Bashan. You will eat the fat until you are glutted and drink blood until you are drunk from my sacrifice which I have sacrificed for you. You will be glutted at my table with horses and charioteers, with mighty men, and all the men of war, declares the Lord God. So, we know they don't eat all of the bodies, because for the next seven months, the people of Israel go around and bury all the bodies. And actually, they designate a specific place in the land of Israel where they take all the bodies to and bury them. And then you have people that if they see a bone of a human laying on the ground, they don't pick it up, they mark it. And then the guys who are designated to come and bury everybody come and pick it up and take it to the place where it's supposed to be buried. And this goes on for seven months. And then for seven years, they burn all of the armament, all of the shields, all the swords, and, all, and they can't use wood to start the fires, God says. Just pile it all up and burn it, and the burning goes on for seven years. Those are descriptions that we'll see as we walk through these chapters. So seven months of burying men, and then seven years of burning all of their armaments and everything they use to come against Israel. And they're all dead, every one of them that came against them. This great mighty army is all, every one of them is dead. So this is, we'll talk about it, when, when this is and how it finishes. Now, in comparison, I want to run to Revelation and look at several chapters. And we'll start in chapter 6. Now, 
People have different views of Revelation. You remember here we have seven seals, and then we have seven trumpets, and then we have seven bowls. Um, the seventh, seventh seal leads to the seven trumpets. The seventh trumpet leads to the seven bowls. And people have different ways they interpret this. I interpret this as sequentially, not just a rehearsal of what has already happened. A lot of people think that the um, seven trumpets and the seven bowls correspond to the seven seals, and they all happen uh, concurrently when those seals are broken. That's not the way I view it. I've, I mean, this lasts for seven years, right? This doesn't happen in just an instant. And even most of the details that are given happen in the last three and a half years after the abomination of desolation, the last three and a half years. So I believe it's sequential. Then things get worse and worse and worse as you go through the seals and then the trumpets and then the bold judgments. And, and things crescendo and get worse and worse and worse as you go through. You don't have to view it that way. That's not the way everybody views it. But it's the way that I look at it. So when you, and we're going to look at things that happen through multiple chapters. So I believe they don't happen concurrently. I believe they happen sequentially. And it's spread over time. It's spread over three and a half years when these things take place. Um, so, because it doesn't all happen at once. I mean, that's clear that it lasts for seven years and lasts um, in a really bad way for three and a half years. So, anyway, that's the way that I look at this. It doesn't all happen concurrently. So, as you read this, I don't see it as concurrent. Now, look at chapter 6 of Revelation in verses 12 through 17. And I will be the first to admit there are some things in Revelation that are just like what we read in Ezekiel. No doubt about it. There are some things that match up. But there's other things, just as many, that don't match up to what we just read in Ezekiel. So we'll read some of these and then we'll, you'll see the comparison. Chapter 6, verse 12 through 17. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripened figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and, it, and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. <clears throat> and they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb from the great day of their wrath, for their great day of the wrath has come, who is able to stand? All right, so we have several things happening here, right? You have an earthquake again, natural phenomena, just like we had in Ezekiel. Okay, and then you have, re but you also have the sun and moon darken, the skies falling from the air, so th things happening in the cosmos 
that are not mentioned in Ezekiel at all. There's nothing about anything happening in the cosmos other than on the planet Earth in Ezekiel. None of that other stuff happens. Okay, and then um, men running and crying for rocks to fall on them. You know, because the earthquake is happening and the mountains are being displaced and the islands are being displaced. So men recognizing that the presence of God is there, calling for rocks to fall on them, kill them, to hide them from the presence of God. Don't see anything like that in Ezekiel. Okay, so there's some things that match. We have the earthquake. Um, and, you know, you could speculate that things happen worth, it, worth the earthquakes. Does that cause volcanoes to erupt or whatever? But none of that is mentioned here. So I'm looking at what the scripture actually mentions and not presuming that other things happen. Okay, and so there are things here that are not in the book of Ezekiel not even mentioned in the book of Ezekiel. And <clears throat> Gog is presented in a much different way than the Antichrist is mentioned in the book of Revelation. They're not similar at all. Um, so we won't look at that, but I, just trust me on this. Gog is presented as a man who leads armies. And there's nothing spiritual about him. There's no worship of him. He doesn't desire to be worshipped. None of that exists in what we just read in Ezekiel. But the Antichrist sets himself up on the throne of God in Jerusalem, creates the abomination of desolation in the temple, and desires for the whole world to worship him. And the whole world does worship him as the false prophet leads them in worship of this false god. You don't see that in the book of Ezekiel at all. None of that. None of that system, none of that organization, none of that desire is shown there. Okay? So there's similarities and there's differences. Yeah. Sure. All the way back to the fall, you see Adam running shame. You see Cain. Am I my brother's keeper? Mocking the counsel of God. Right. You see the Tower of Babel and the dispersion. You see the flood. And less than a hundred years later, we're back. A world that is utterly <laughs> from end to end again. And what you're seeing is this thread that flows through this tapestry of humanity right to this beyond where you're going, which is man, apart from God's gracious work in that part, will always shake his fist at God. Mm -hmm. because, because he ultimately yeah. wants to be God himself. And these guys here in Revelation, when judgment is being poured out, blaspheme the name of God. And you're like, really? You don't get it yet? So, um, That's the recurring theme. Of oh, it is. It is. Yeah, and I'll tell you that much of what we see here in the book of Revelation is depicted in historic Israel, especially in the 600 years after Daniel, in that 
really it's only a, lasts for about 300 years. After Daniel writes, then all these things unfold that foreshadow what happens in Revelation. All right, Revelation chapter 11, in verse 19. Now, the first thing that we just saw happens when the sixth seal is broken. Here, in Revelation 11, in verse 19, is when the seventh trumpet is blown. So again, I don't believe those are concurrent. I believe they happen apart from one another. So 11:19, And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was open, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple, and there were flashes and lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. All right, so we have some things that are the same, right? We have a... Um, thunder and lightning and all of that, but no rain mentioned. But we do have a hailstorm storm that happens. And back in Ezekiel, we saw a hailstorm, but coupled with that was torrential rain. You'll see any rain anywhere in the book of Revelation. Now, we do have lightning and, and thunder, so you could assume there are rains, but they're not mentioned so maybe there aren't. Maybe that's just the presence of God causing the lightning and the thunder because there's no rain mentioned, just hail. Okay, so there's similarities and there's differences. And then we have this, the throne of God opened, meaning you can see it. You can see the throne of God in the heavens. Okay, don't see that in Ezekiel anywhere. It's God coming from heaven to the earth to the literal earth. And so some similarities, but also some significant differences between what happens at these different events in the book of Revelation. All right, we'll go on. Look at chapter 16, verse 17. And again, I'm just picking some things. Now, this is, we had the sixth trumpet. I'm sorry, we had the sixth seal we had the seventh trumpet this is now the seventh bowl again things that i think happen at different times so when the seventh bowl is poured out verse 17 then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying it is done and there were flashes and lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and there was a great earthquake such as there had not been since man came upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it and so mighty. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away and the mountains were not found in huge hailstones about 100 pounds each came down from heaven upon men. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. Now you can imagine if you have hail falling that weighs 100 pounds, that you do not survive when that falls, right? That, that kills you because it's falling from heaven. And again, you've got an earthquake, but notice how it's described greater than any earthquake that's happened since before. 
Okay, not the same description using in Ezekiel about the earthquake at all. Because this is the greatest earthquake that has ever happened. And then you also have um, a voice out of heaven. So the throne of God is opened. You hear a voice coming from the temple, which is the throne of God in heaven, speaking to those on the earth. Don't see that in Daniel. Nothing of that type. In, uh, in Ezekiel. And, um, okay, and then we have the earthquake and the shaking of the earth, and it has cataclysmic um, things coupled with it. Again, the islands fled away, which I believe here means they, they are not there. They sink. And that the mountains fall, and again, um, Israel may be a unique case where it doesn't happen because we still see the mountains of Israel during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And so apparently this does not flatten the mountains of Israel. And then you have the hailstones. So we had hail in um, the book of uh, Ezekiel, but it was coupled with rain. And it was coupled with fire from heaven. Here we have no fire from heaven yet, right? You have hail and you have earthquakes, but no fire from heaven. No torrential rain. Earthquake greater than any other earthquake. Different descriptions, different, I believe, times, different wars. But, I mean, you have to make your own decisions. I'm just showing you some things that I believe show that they're not the same war. And again, this is over three and a half years, seven years in total, but three and a half years where there are wars going on. The battle in Ezekiel doesn't last that long. Okay, so we go on, and the, the, really the thing that shows me is there's no fire in brimstone in the book of Revelation at this time in this war. It's hail that's killing people, not fire and brimstone. Okay, then look down in chapter 19. And this is the conclusion of all the bad things that happen. This is the um, time when Christ comes on a white horse and he's seen in the heavens by all the peoples of the earth. And they're prepared for battle, but there is no battle. Okay, he literally slaughters them by speaking to them. Okay, so we'll see this here. 19, 11 through 21. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it, called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty." And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. 
Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in midheaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and slaves and small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and the armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Now, you notice here the focus of this war is not on the war at all. It's on Jesus Christ on the white horse. And that's what the greatest description is of him coming. In Ezekiel, you don't see Christ coming at all. Not even mentioned. It says God comes and the earth shakes at his presence. But you don't have Jesus Christ presented in his glory at all in the book of um, Ezekiel. So, and then you notice in verse 21, I mean, he takes the, the beast and the false prophet, throws them into the lake of fire. And then in verse 21, and the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So how do the people in this war die? They die by the word of Jesus Christ. He just speaks to them and they die. That is not how the people in the book of Ezekiel die. They kill each other with their swords. So there's a significant, you know, when you say, and I mean, this is exactly what I read, is that the things that happen in Ezekiel 38 and 39 are exactly like what happens in Revelation. And I go, really? Not what I read isn't exactly what happens in Revelation. Not at all. It's very, very different, I believe. And so I, again, conclude that this war at the end of the tribulation, at the beginning of the millennial reign, is not the same war that's detailed in, Dan in Ezekiel. It's, it's not the same war. There, the, I mean, some things match, but many, many things do not match. And so I conclude they're not the same war. Uh, Yeah. It's only mentioned one time in the entire book of Revelation. Right. And it is mentioned in Revelation 6 when it talks about the two witnesses. And this is what it has to say in the entirety of Revelation about rain. They have the power to shut up the sky that no rain may fall during that time. But yet you have what? Hail, which is the formation of rain up in the upper right. that freezes and falls in a hundred pound. <laughs> big, big hail. Not the size of golf balls or softballs, but much larger, right? Right, it's raining rain. So it, I come to the conclusion they're not the same war. Um, and it, they're not exactly the same, regardless of what men write. Men that I respect gravely write that, that they're exactly the same. I just don't see it when you actually get down and you look at the details. Now, there are several similarities, but there are several differences. And so I, you know, the things that are similar are natural happening occurrences. Earthquakes, 
hailstones. I mean, this is, this is, we see this even today, not of this size, but they're, they're climatic things. They're things that happen regularly on the earth now. And so um, they're greater than they typically are, but nevertheless, um, they happen today. All right, now I want to show you real quickly in five minutes or less. Look in chapter 21 of Revelation, verses 7 through 10, because there's another war given after the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Here's a war that's detailed. Notice what it, very, very little detail. Starting in chap, chapter 21, verse 7. He is chapter 20, verse 11. I don't know where the, the 21 came from, but 20, that's not it either. Sorry. Verse 7. <laughs> Of chapter 20 when the thousand years are completed that's the millennial reign of Jesus Christ when the reign is completed Satan will be released from his prison and he will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth Gog and Magog to gather them together for the war and the number of them is like the sand of the seashore and they came up on the broad plains of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city and fire came down from heaven and devoured them and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever okay doesn't give us much detail at all but it's the only other place other than um, well, even in um, Sodom and Gomorrah, you don't have fire. You just have brimstone. That you have fire coming down from heaven to kill people, to destroy them. And so this, in my mind, matches to what is in Ezekiel. This is the war after the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. It's the final war. I think of it this way, that in the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ comes to take back what is rightfully his. The scroll is the title deed of the earth, and he breaks the seals, meaning he's unfurling this title deed and says, this is mine, and he has the authority to break the seals. And then you see him appear in chapter 19. I think in, in Ezekiel, Jesus Christ is already on the earth. He's already seated in Jerusalem on the throne of David. He's already here. So when God comes from heaven in Ezekiel, that's God the Father coming for the final word of his creation. And that's what I believe is happening here in Revelation. Again, you don't have Jesus Christ coming. He's already here. You don't have much detail, but you have fire coming from heaven just as we saw over in, Dan, over in Ezekiel. We don't, we're not given the torrential rain. We're not given the hail. None of that's here. But this war has to be sometime after the millennial rain. And so I believe that's what Daniel, I mean Ezekiel is describing. And that this war in Ezekiel matches to what's in these four verses in Revelation 
not the previous war that happens at the beginning of the millennial reign. So the scripture is very clear in chapter 20 of 19 and 20 of Revelation. There are two wars that bookend the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. So that second war has to happen sometime. And the one in Ezekiel doesn't match what happens at the beginning of the millennial reign. So I see it again that between chapters 37 and 38 of Ezekiel, there are a thousand years. It's the reign of Jesus Christ. And then this war that's described in 38 and 39 is at the end of the millennial reign and matches this war in Revelation chapter 20. So I could be wrong or I could be right. But, I mean, you use your mind... And you see what the scripture says, and you come to conclusions, but you don't hold them so hard that you're going to fight with people about them. You present them, you explain them, they can disagree with you, and that's okay. We'll know in the end. But you need to think about them, because you, in your mind, you have to some way deal with scripture and so you have to come to conclusions or at least leanings about these things and when they happen and how they happen and why they happen because this is all the revelation of the plan of God and I do agree, uh, believe in progressive revelation that there are more details given the longer you go in scripture that that doesn't mean that the war in Revelation has to match the one in Daniel, and Daniel just gave some details that aren't given in Revelation. I don't see that. Daniel's a good place. If you look at Daniel 11, 1 through 35, you're literally reading history coming right out of Babylon and what's about to unfold. And then in one verse, from verse 35 to 36, you literally, you, you are still looking at immediate history, but yet you're also looking precisely at yeah, and, and, and at the beginning next time, we'll turn to Daniel chapter 11. That war is not like the one in Revelation. And it's men doing what they want to do. It's not God doing anything given in Daniel. So we'll look at that for just a minute and show you that that doesn't match what happens in Ezekiel at all and is more history that foreshadows the future is what Daniel chapter 11 is. We'll look at it next time. Thanks for your time.